Hello, hello, and welcome to the Wing Woman podcast, hosted by best friends and journalists, Charlie Gowan-Zeglinton, that's her, and Frankie Graddon, that's me. Morning, Chaz. Morning. Morning from me and the bin men. (laughs) And your itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, not-quite-polka-dot bikini. I'm afraid I've had to wear a bikini top on Zoom this morning. It is so hot in my house. I can't open the windows because that interferes with the sound and also... You can already hear the bin men through the single glazing. So sorry, Franks. I think probably you should be able to see my tits in screen. I can. I can see the top portion and I love them. Fantastic. They haven't had an audience in a long time, actually. (laughs) I hate to be British about everything, but my God, has it been hot. Oh, it's been hot. I know we like to moan when it's cold and we just want some sun. And then as soon as the sun pops out, we moan again. But Lordy Lord... Perhaps too hot, I would say. Much too hot. How do you get any work done? Also, I've never experienced this level of heat with a baby. Stressful. Mm-mm-mm. Have you caught the sun? Well, that's one of the stresses, trying to keep him out of the sun. Don't want a baby with a tan, can you imagine? But I've taken to wearing shorts this summer because A, too hot, and B, lots of crouching down with a kid, so you don't want to be flashing your knickknacks and a little flippy dress. And I think maybe for the first time in a long, long time, I have a little tan on my legs. Fantastic. Yeah, because I have the kind of leg skin that just repels the sun normally and goes from milk bottle white to heat rashy red and then back again. But I think I detected last night a hint of bronze. I'm thrilled for you. I've been wearing shorts too. Isn't that nice? In the city. It feels a bit peculiar, doesn't it? Maybe you're used to this. Well, no, because I haven't worn shorts anywhere but on holiday and at the beach for years. I just made a decision at some point in my mid-twenties that I didn't want to show my knees or sort of anything, you know, thigh in London town. And I don't really know where that came from, but I stopped wearing shorter dresses. I stopped wearing shorts. I guess it was kind of the time when midi dresses were in so that maybe contributed to not flashing my legs but god it's so liberating to just get your legs out it's so much cooler it is so much cooler i wore shorts and bare legs in london for the first time ever last week and i was really excited about it congratulations babe i've always been self-conscious of my legs and fuck it that's a ridiculous way to live your life and choose your clothes isn't it so freeing to be in a short. Amen to that. And great for the old thigh rub. So there you go. We had a lovely email from a reader called Lily in Edinburgh. And it was in response to when we were talking about suddenly wearing tie-dye hoodies and potentially having an identity crisis, but also enjoying it. And she was saying she has had a similar sartorial revelation in the fact that she just started wearing what it is that she wants to wear. And she was saying, because she's been working from home and you're not seeing as many people, but you're also maybe not partaking in the sort of expectations of what you should be wearing because you're just, me, myself and I, at home, and you're just seeing your very much nearest and dearest. So you can just put on what you like. And actually that has been a real benefit because I think I've definitely felt that. I've been much less worried about what I'm wearing and what people will think because only you and Ben and Alfie are seeing me and you guys don't judge me unless you judge me in secret behind my back. I judge you a lot. Do you? Out loud. Just to mutual friends, strangers. (laughs) I do think context is funny, isn't it, how it affects what we wear and actually when you get used to dressing for an office, which is 
usually a bit smarter, a bit more grown up, and perhaps a bit more conservative, I then find it really hard to switch at the weekend without just wearing like jeans and a t-shirt. So I do think maybe this in-between time has let us all kind of find our personal sense of style that isn't just work us and jeans and a t-shirt weekend us. Thrilling. Also, I bought your tie-dye hoodie in long sleeve t-shirt version. That is cracking. I do want that body, the green one that you've been wearing. Oh, don't even. It is fantastic the devastating thing about it is that it's a thong right so my back view is fairly wibbly but it's fine because no one sees that just the inside of my jeans see that i'd love to see a glorious bottom (laughs) i should be so lucky anyone should be so lucky oh man it's just so deflated it's fine though it works Good. But the front is fantastic. The olive colour is such a good olive. It's not too yellowy and it's not too forest green. And the strap placement, particularly on me, I have slightly broader shoulders. It just really works. I love it. Please get it. Then we can be twinsy whoop whoops. Yeah, I just want my breast to be supported not by a bra but by a top at all times. Although I wore a bodysuit the other day, had my bag cross body, moved my bag and I had an enormous sweat patch just under one boob. Yeah, nice. You think they'd be less hot? I'm giving you a holiday. Don't do this to me. You know? Yeah. That's the only thing about going braless. The underboob sweat is real. So apart from being hot and sweaty, Chaz, what else would you like to talk about this week? Well, I would like to talk about Emma Barnett and her war on badly placed loos. Or badly designed loos. Well, it's loos that are placed with no thought for women. So Emma Barnett, who is one of the hosts of Women's Hour and also the author of a new book called Period, It's About Bloody Time, shared on her Instagram a picture of a bog-standard loo. Pun pun. And the fact that because the toilet is always right in the middle of the cubicle, it means the sanitary bin is always shoved in on one side and it's usually touching. And unless you sit in a really peculiar way or you happen to be of the very small-bottomed variety of woman, you're touching it when you sit down. And if it's one of those sensor ones, you know, if you wave at the top and then it just opens. So obviously it always thinks I'm waving at the top when I'm actually just mooning it by accident. Inverted mooning happens all the time. And just opens to show me everyone else's sanitary waste, which doesn't seem very hygienic or necessary. But it is mad that there are all these little things in our everyday lives that we mostly don't even think about that are just not designed for women or are almost intentionally designed to piss women off. I completely agree. I saw Emma's picture on Instagram and I feel like I've sort of thought about it, but not really. And then I saw her picture and I just thought, oh my gosh, why have I just taken this as a given that I will walk into a toilet, sit down and have a wee, have a sanitary bin brush up against my leg. Then if I want to try and use the sanitary bin, have to then kind of get up off the toilet to use the foot pedal because the foot pedals only work if you're coming at it from a standing up position, which is bizarre because then you're just boinging up and down off the toilet with your sanitary towel or your tampon in your hand. And why is that completely normal? Why has nobody thought, hmm, this might be incredibly inconvenient? And in Emma's post, she mentions that this is a relatively new toilet. So it's not even that it's an 
old fashioned one it's outdated and things have progressed they just haven't we just still haven't thought about how the fundamental mechanics of women using toilets and having periods and considering women have periods all the time it's not like it's a sporadic event why 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 is it not accommodated for but it must be intentional because we have talked about loo placement before in office buildings for example where you have separate gendered toilets and so it's not that those toilets have been designed thinking oh this might be for men this might be for women no because in a gendered toilet block there's urinals in the men's one so it's not like they've been designed thinking oh this might be a men's toilet and it might be a women's toilet although if it was a men's toilet would it be so difficult for them to aim slightly to the left or right to accommodate a loo that's not banging the center of the cubicle i would say not But it's not that that's even the case because the gendered men's toilets are completely different and women wouldn't be able to walk in and use those without some aim practice at the very least. So it is toilets that are being specifically designed for us are not being designed for us. That's got to be intentional. It feels like it's men designing it. It feels like it's people who have never had to use a toilet and a sanitary bin at the same time have used it. Is that true? Are there female toilet designers out there? I found it very interesting and very telling the amount of comments this post got. It had over 3,000 likes and lots and lots and lots of comments. And Stylus picked it up as well as a news story. Yeah, well, it's just so infuriating. But one of those examples of just everyday stumbling blocks that feels like it's put up to make women's lives just that little bit harder. But there were loads of comments. There was one lady that was saying that she does late work shifts. So by the time she goes in to use the toilet, it's normally overflowing. The bin, I'm guessing, not the toilet. Not the toilet, heaven forbid. But you know, the bin is overflowing. And I feel like I've walked into toilets and seen sanitary bins. They never seem to be cleaned out properly. It's really unhygienic and it's really unnecessary. People picking up on the fact that the pedal is positioned at the front of the bin, as I was saying, so it's kind of impossible to use it. Or yes, you have the wavy sensor and then it just opens as soon as you sit down. One of the comments is from a teacher saying it's the same in girls' toilets in schools. You know, so you're kind of dealing with this from quite a young age, which is probably why I had accepted it but quietly seethed about it. Because we've been brushing up against sanitary bins since we were... What, 13? Yeah, well, I started my period actually at the end of primary school and there wasn't a sanitary bin in the toilets. So I was chuffed when we did actually have one at school. But what also winds me up about toilets in general is the sinks being outside. I understand the space-saving logic of it and I understand that it gets people out the door faster and then they're washing their hands and someone else goes to the toilet. But if you are changing a tampon, taking out a sanitary towel emptying a moon cup you're probably going to get some blood on your hands and even if you wipe it off you should be washing your hands properly before you're touching a lock that someone else is going to have to touch that's not hygienic either and I do think hopefully now we're all a bit more hygiene obsessed because obviously of covid and of having to wash our hands constantly and we're all aware of how much bacteria is on everything that we touch Mm. maybe that could change that would be lovely if that did change I hope so. Obviously, we're in a country that has sanitation. We are in a country where sanitary products are widely available, although not available to everybody. So we're coming at it from a level of privilege. And on a slightly different but related topic, why, why, why are there not more baby changing units in toilets? Not just female toilets. There need to be them in male toilets. The amount of times we've been out 
and Ben's gone to change Alfie and he can't because there's no baby change facilities in the male toilets, only the female toilets. That's infuriating. And also, we went for a posh lunch, me and Chaz and baby Alfie. I went to the ladies' toilets. There was no baby changing unit. I had to put him on the floor and the sink was outside the toilets. So I didn't have blood on my hands. I had baby's shit on my hands. I had to leave him in the cubicle, run to the sink to wash my hands and then run back. That was stressful and annoying. And it was a really posh, expensive restaurant. So please can we sort it out? Because it makes life really hard. Unnecessarily so. Just design toilets well. Is that too much to ask? I think not. Also on Instagram, a very different nature. I'm very much enjoying the celebrity recouplings. <gasps> Hot ex summer. So it used to be Benefer, didn't it? I was going to call it Baylo. Yeah, it's not appropriate because she obviously deserves top billing in their relationship. Yeah. Probably did then, but I mean, he'd had goodwill hunting, etc. Did he won an Oscar? Maybe. His career's down here. Her career's up here. Sorry, Ben. She's up there. She's phenomenal. So, J-Lo featuring Ben Affleck or Jay Laffleck? Oh, nice. Mm. Very good. I'm quite happy about this pairing. Why am I happy about this pairing? Is it because it makes me feel like it's the early noughties again? And then perhaps I'm 20 years younger. God, Sorry, when you said that, I was like, it's not 20 years. I'm so sorry it is. Fuck. I like their PDA, and I feel like after a year of isolation and no touchy-touchy, quite nice to see people just snogging each other's faces off. I hope you and Ben haven't not snogged for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Just in blitz spirit with those of us isolating. (laughs) You're allowed to snog. Save lives, protect the NHS, don't kiss. Go snog him now, poor thing. (laughs) But as well as Jennifer Lopez featuring Ben Affleck, according to rumour, obviously, in just wild tabloid speculation, Angelina Jolie and her ex-husband Johnny Lee Miller have been seen together. Well, not even seen together. She's been entering his house with a bottle of wine, which screams date night to me. I mean, they could be friends, but are you friends with any exes? God, no. No. It's not a thing unless you're really forced for it to be a thing because... I don't know, maybe you share family or friends or not family directly, but (laughs) (laughs) although that would also be awkward. See them at Christmas every year. Awkward. Um, But you might share a pet and you might have to do some shared custody of the dog. You might also share children. But I don't understand. Angelina and Johnny Lee Miller, they don't share children. They don't share a dog that I know of. Why is she turning up at his house with a bottle of wine? I'm wondering whether... Because the dating scene has been so obliterated by the pandy, aka the pandemic, I rebranded it to make it sound a bit friendlier. I loved it. Are people just going back to exes because dating someone new, searching for somebody new has been very difficult? Have you been tempted to retrace your steps and ring up some ex-boyfriends? God, no. But I've just deleted the apps because... I'm not actually doing anything with them. I'm not actually swiping or looking. I just occasionally get a like on Hinge and a message. So there's no point being on it if I'm not going to engage with it and put time into it. Then it just becomes a niggle at the back of my mind. I might as well just delete it altogether. But the thing that tipped me over the edge, because certainly I swipe through, because I've been single for five years, and I swipe through and I see the same people. And... Then I think, oh God, they're looking at me being like, that girl, she's had that picture up for five years. Anyway, here's one, a message, holding my phone up for proof. Hi, Charlie, normally wouldn't do this, but I think you'd enjoy a second date. 
as long as I'm not sleep deprived slash dressed in old clothes for minus five. So we went on a day when it was very cold, obviously, and... And he was tired. I guess he was tired. But you'd enjoy a second date. Presumptuous. If I would enjoy a second date, I would have said yes when you asked me on one. I said no. And if that is the dating pool left to me, do you know what? If Johnny Lee Miller was in my phone book, (laughs) I'd be turning up with a magma of wine. I'd be suggesting we start some sort of new wine club, whining our way around the world. Oh, how lovely. If Ben Affleck... No. Mm. Mm, I know. What is it about Ben Affleck that's a bit... Ugh, because he's a bit of a hunky-dunk. He's fairly good at his craft, but <sighs> he makes you feel a bit... Ugh. It's the PDAs, though, because with his last girlfriend over lockdown one... I don't know if she was his last girlfriend. His girlfriend at the time... There was this series of what looked like very staged photographs of them going out to get groceries together or to get a frappuccino together, wearing sort of semi-matching outfits and then snogging in the street, Mm. just snogging all over town. And while I appreciate it when I see him and J-Lo do it at a dinner covertly... Middle of the street snogging, it's not necessary. No one is that overcome by lust that you need to stop walking and start snogging, I don't think. If I just popped out of my house to pick up a pint of milk, I don't need to see beautiful people snogging in front of me. Do you know? Yeah. It's fine in the context of a dinner yeah. or a bar. Or were they at the Oscars where there was that great snog, as in Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck? I don't know if it was the Oscars, it was award ceremony. Jennifer Lopez looked amazing. She had some sort of twisty updo, jadere. Anyway, they did some snogging and I enjoyed that very much. But I know what you mean. Just like cash out and about. Just wait till you get home. Although I do think the PDA is definitely back because did you also see Megan Fox? Oh yes, and Machine Gun Kelly. And Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. At an award ceremony, properly just going for it. Tongues, saliva. And it does bring back the era of Angelina Jolie and... Billy Bob Thornton. Thank you. I can read your mind. At all times. <laughs> and that video has now been circulating again on social media. And he told the reporter they'd had sex in a car. Fantastic. But are we revisiting that? That's what I mean. We've come out of the era of skin hunger. So now we're gorging ourselves on just rubbing up and humping everyone we can find. And if that happens to be your ex, because it's quicker than finding somebody new, maybe that's just what it is. It's not the Roaring Twenties, it's the Horny Twenties. It is the Horny Twenties. Who would you revisit? Where would you be? Interesting. Paint me a picture. Okay, who would I revisit from my roster of ex-boyfriends? I would... (laughs) Oh, God. Just remembering all of my absolutely catastrophic sexual encounters of my late teens and 20s. Do you know what? I'd revisit my first proper boyfriend, Matt. Oh, Bristolian Matt. Who had a Ford Celica. He lived in Bristol. Long distance relationship. He drive to Hertfordshire every weekend. Sweet. How old were you, please? I know, but the listener does not. Between the ages of 16 and perhaps 19. He was a puppet. We had a Titanic moment. Not in terms of a mass drowning. (laughs) He drew me, like his French girls, partially nude. Fantastic. Yeah. Sounds creepy. It wasn't. (laughs) He was at college doing art and it was a project. Fine. Anyway, credit to my parents. They did not freak out when he arrived at my house with, I think, probably an A1 nude of their, at the time, 17-year-old daughter. Fantastic. So he was giving it to you, was he? Yeah. (laughs) 
my bedroom. And I remember mum feeling very worried when the plumber had to come and the water tank was in my bedroom and the plumber had to come into my bedroom to fix the water tank and she thought it might be a bit odd for him to see. Did she say, don't lie anywhere with your back to us (laughs) and your head tilting up just in case? (laughs) Identify. I can imagine, though, as a teenager, that must have felt like the most romantic thing in the world. That's like having a song written about you. Oh, it was next level. What a main character moment, babe. Thanks. It was also at the time of the OC, so I feel like... I was just very in that big romantic gesture headspace. You know, Mm. Seth Cohen loved a romantic gesture. It was the Spider-Man kiss that he did with Summer, which is still etched into my brain. And I think perhaps one of the sexiest scenes. I think probably if I look back on it now, less sexy. But at the time, it felt sexy and aspirational. So it sort of chimed in with that. I felt like a very lucky lady. So... That's who I'd go for. How about you? I just don't think I could choose one. They were just all so cracking, you know? (laughs) How would I whistle that down? Do I note a sense of sarcasm? Well, uh, (laughs) I was reading the cover of the latest New York magazine. It has got splashed across it in giant balloon letters, the return of FOMO. Mm. And it sure is. And actually, Hattie Purcell also wrote about this for The Times. The New York article is by a journalist called Matthew Schneier, and there is a quote that I want to read you, because I enjoyed it so much, from his former colleague, which I enjoyed. She described her own recent history as being booked four or five nights a week. Among her friends, plans for a party quickly became hysterical. What I say to my fiancé is I want to be in a sensory deprivation tank, as I'm texting people asking what they're doing. I can't keep up. I don't want any more texts, but I'm texting. It's too much, but it's not enough. Oh, man. I certainly also went a bit mad for making plans because we hadn't been able to for so long. Mm. And then it was too much. I had forgotten how exhausting it is to socialise. It's wonderful, obviously, but it is something that we have become completely unused to. And I'm used to long stretches of silence now. I'm used to watching the TV for hours now or just going to bed early and reading my book. Being out every night, a bit mad. How are you feeling about Return of Fomot? I did the same as you. I booked in lots of things and then felt thoroughly over-socialised. And actually last weekend, some friends cancelled a plan and I was so absolutely thrilled. And that sounds mad, doesn't it? That we've just done over a year of not seeing anybody. And yet I was gleeful that these people who I hadn't seen in ages cancelled because I just felt completely overwhelmed and like I'd seen too many people. But I definitely feel FOMO-y. I definitely feel like I now look on Instagram and get that slightly funny feeling in my chest that everyone's doing something fun and amazing and I am going to yet another baby class. So I don't enjoy that very much at all. I do feel like I'm missing out a bit, but then also don't feel like I've got the energy to partake in too much of it. It's a funny limbo, isn't it? It is a funny limbo and... I think it's been amazing to not experience FOMO, to not have to worry about that, to not look at your phone, look at Instagram and see that everyone is somewhere that you're not. Yes, it is amazing that we can now go out again. But what we really want is the option of being able to go out, the option of being able to go everywhere, but also to then not feel guilty for staying at home. And I think we're still at the phase now where you do feel guilty if you stay home because you think 
God, all this time that I thought, if only I'm allowed out, I'm never going to spend a Friday night at home again. And on Friday night, all I wanted to do was stay home. Even though it was sunny, even though it was Friday night. Mm. And I knew the pubs would be rammed. I do think working from home in a way helps because when you're in an office and everyone's saying, what are you doing at the weekend? That also adds to my FOMO. Or not even my FOMO, but my feeling that I should be making more plans, even if I don't want them. Weird. So weird. In the July issue of Elle, there's an article called Life, Soul and Parties. And they've got lots of different writers to immortalise the parties that changed the course of their lives or changed how they felt about themselves, perhaps. The big earth-shattering parties. And I would like to go to a really good party. Oh, man, me too. Because at the moment, the options are pub, restaurant, which is great. I have run out of money, so I can't really do anything right now. Another problem of over-socialising, too much too soon. Yeah, it's expensive. I forgot about the money thing. Whoopsie-daisy. But I would love to go to a proper, proper party. And reading about their experiences, reading about their parties all over the world and their glamorous socialites. Ooh, what are your big memorable parties? So I can't say I've ever had an earth-shattering party or one that's changed the course of my life. However, and you actually had to remind me of this because my memory is completely shocking. In my mid-twenties, when I was working at the Telegraph Stella magazine and we were doing a shoot in Los Angeles, I went to a mulberry party at Chateau Marmont. Right. Which was so much fun. I was wearing a dress that was too small for me, but fine. And as part of the setup, it was in one of the bungalows in the chateau. It was in the Emma Hill era. It was all quite fantastical and fairy tale-ish. And they had just a room full of plastic, colourful gnomes, about two foot tall. And I got drunk enough, with my boss at the time, to steal a couple. And I brought one home for you. Mm-hmm. I still have him. It was my hand luggage on the aeroplane. I will never forget it going through the scanner. And just seeing on the screen a little outline of a gnome. (laughs) Presumably they thought I had potentially smuggled some drugs inside of it. And if I was going to be a drugs mule, I feel like a mulberry gnome is quite a good cover. Is it though? It's a very statement piece. (laughs) (laughs) It's the double bluff. It's two statement for it to be dodged. Okay. Anyway, I wish I'd written all of this stuff down and then I could reminisce when I'm old. My diary would be so boring, but I wish I'd kept one. Because I don't remember a bean. What's your party of note? Well, I think my best one, and I've probably spoken about this before because it is my best one, was the end of Central St Martin's closing party for the campus on Charing Cross Road, which is where Frankie and I went to uni. And it was an amazing building where the Big Foils is now, and they've turned the top of it into luxury apartments. But it was this huge, sprawling building... It was a bit run down. It had a courtyard kind of midway through and then the library was at the back, which was actually on Greek Street. And a nightclub used the courtyard between the library where people stored their bikes as a smoking area. So if you actually ever went to that nightclub and went outside, you were suddenly in the middle of the university. It was all very weird and very Soho. And it was a fabulous building, I thought, to go to university in. It was so much fun. And there was a plaque when you first came in above the front desk saying that the Sex Pistols played their first ever gig there. But when they closed it to move all of the St Martin's campuses, which were spread across London, to King's Cross, they threw an enormous party and Jarvis Cocker sang Common People. 
i.e. she studied sculpture at St Martin's College. We lost our shit, didn't we? Flawless. It was pre-camera phones, which is a great loss to the world. But also not, because it takes up a very fantastical, almost dreamlike space in my head, because I have absolutely no proof that it happened, apart from the fact that you and several other hundred people were there. But I like that there's no photographic or video documentation of that, because it felt like it was a seminal moment and I'm pleased I don't have any grainy recording to sort of look back and think, oh, actually, it was a bit... Because in my head, it was momentous. It was momentous. And people were writing their names on the walls and writing messages because it was going to be gutted, the building. Oh, it was glorious. And then it was raining and we couldn't get a taxi home for ages. You couldn't walk in your shoes. Do you remember? What were they? Cat McConey? Cat McConey specifically bought for the occasion. Yeah. And they were actual vice on my feet. They hurt so 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 much I think I cried trying to get home yeah so you and my sister were just sat in the curb and then I was walking up and down trying to find a taxi in the rain finally got a taxi dropped my sister off you came back to mine you said please can we have something to eat I didn't have anything in the house I gave you my keys while I went to buy food from the 24 hour corner shop you went inside dropped your phone so it broke apart into multiple pieces fell asleep on the bed (laughs) and um I came back five minutes later and Frankie was dead to the world didn't hear the doorbell couldn't let me in on the street for about two and a half hours and then finally my sister answered her phone and I went round and stayed at hers <sighs> and miraculously you're still friends with me yeah <laughs> it was still my number one party and I think that added to it in fact it wouldn't have been so memorable no had you not been locked out of your own house maybe it's a good job we're a bit too tired to go out now Chaz gosh yeah such a good party right I need to go what are your recommendations oh okay I have three On the telly box, I have been watching, and this shows the breadth, once again, of my TV preferences. I've been watching a new series of Scotland's Home of the Year, which I love because you get to nosy into people's houses. And also, series two of Lupin is on Netflix. Ugh, gorgeous. French, glorious. Gripping. Drama. Beautiful people. It's all fantastic. Watch it immediately. If you haven't watched the first series, you should. And listening to... Claire Cohen, who I used to work with at The Telegraph, has started a new podcast there called Imposters. And it is speaking to lots of brilliant women about imposter syndrome and success. And it's asking for their advice if you're dealing with imposter syndrome yourself, which I think we all do at some point. And her first guest is Trini Woodall. Oh, Trini. Who I've had on a podcast, you've had on a podcast. She's phenomenal. Hilarious, very open and honest. She's a dream podcast guest. You had her in the back of a cab. Twice. Yeah. That sounds right up my street. And it's also produced by Theo Leludis, who is podcast producer extraordinaire. Used to produce the first podcast I ever worked on, which was The Telegraph's Fashion Unzipped. So, that's me in a nutshell. What are your recommendations? I've only got one because it is that good. Okay. It's a bit of a showstopper recommendation, not to brag. My (laughs) recommendations are not less good because I had three of them. Oh no, it's just because I haven't had time. But this is fucking amazing. You're going to absolutely enjoy it. Stanley Tucci, Searching for Italy. Imagine, imagine the polo shirt clad dream that is Stanley Tucci. He's in Italy. He's gone back to his roots. He's Italian on both sides. He's going around the regions, all 20 of them. He's trying out different specialities. He's going into kitchens. He's eating pasta. He's speaking Italian. It's so lovely and brilliant, yummy and delicious because of the food and also because of him. It's great. 
It starts on Sunday, the 20th, on CNN International. And I didn't know how to get that on my telly. It's fine. You go onto the website and watch it on there. I think you can also get an app, the CNN International app. So if you have a smart telly, you can download the app and watch it there. I've watched two episodes as like a little sneak preview. The Amalfi Coast and Naples was the first episode, which was amazing. That's when I went for my honeymoon as well. Nice memories. It was great. They had pizza in a restaurant. We had a pizza in. Ugh! Would you rather have been on the Amalfi Coast and Naples with Ben or Stanley? Stanley takes his wife, so I feel like I would be stepping on some toes if I'd gone with Stanley. There's nothing wrong with being a gooseberry. No, there is nothing wrong, but I would want to snog Stanley, and I'm not sure his wife would take kindly to that. And then the second episode is Rome which is where Cacio Pepe came from, which I think might be my favourite pasta dish. Anyway, small insight. Wow! <laughs> we don't have time to go into that. but We don't, we whoa, don't. Analyse that in your spare time, not on this podcast. So yeah, great stuff. Watch it, fall in love, eat some pasta. I intend to. Good. That's all we've got time for, because Frankie's nanny is due in... She's here. Oh, she's here. The doorbell's gone. Oh my God, Janan, I'm so sorry. I know. If you've liked what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. And if you want to hear more from us in written form, you can sign up to our bi-monthly newsletter, which comes out on a Sunday. Subscribe to that at thewingwoman.co.uk. And you can find us on social media at... Frankie Graddon at Charlie Gans and collectively at the wingwoman underscore. You can contact us via email if you have any questions, perhaps about Frankie's favourite pasta at the wingwoman official at gmail.com. Lovely. Enjoy your weekends, everybody. Or if you're listening to this in the week, enjoy your week. Enjoy any time that you have. Just all of it. All of it. Embrace it. Don't feel like you have to go out though all the time. Oh God, no, don't. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>